0: who are online and joining us too but I got to tell you I'm not I'm not a fan of tour guides don't get me wrong I see the value and I get all that in fact there's been a few times in my life where I should have paid attention and I didn't and it cost me but I kind of I'm kind of like one of those people that likes to do my own research and then go at my own pace you know, like, if you're, in, if you're in a group, like, the tour guide is, okay, everybody get off the bus, everybody get on the bus, and, like, whatever their pace is, that's what it is. I like to go at my own pace. I like to kind of discover things, see, maybe see things that the tour guide doesn't even know about. That's kind of arrogant and prideful, isn't it? So um, I, I kind of like to do that. In fact, by the way, I don't always read directions either. <laughs> I mean, after all, I am a man, right? So um, I don't necessarily like tour guides, but I absolutely see the value of them. And there's been a few times in my life where they came uh, extremely uh, important. Uh, one time, years ago, I was with Christopher LaPelle. He's our um, director of the ministry in Cambodia that we support and partner with. And I've been over there a few times, and we train pastors and church planters. And we had been doing that. I was there for like 10 days. We, we did a week-long training event, and we visited some churches in Cambodia. We made it back to Phnom Penh, and we had 24 hours before our plane left. And he says to me, hey, do you want to go to Vietnam? I'm like, yeah. He goes, let's go. So we got on a bus and just left. We went to Ho Chi Minh City, which was Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. Um, First of all, I thought Christopher knew where we were going. So we get into the middle of Ho Chi Minh City at night, and they drop us off the bus, and they're like, that's it. Now, nobody's like shouting instructions in English, by the way. Christopher doesn't speak Vietnamese, he speaks Khmer. And so we're standing there going, well this, there's, we didn't even have a, a hotel planned. All right, we're just gonna go find a hotel, stay the night, maybe see some stuff the next day, and then take the bus right back. But it's just, it's just gonna be a quick trip. So we, uh, we get off this bus, we're stand, we, we find somebody who might speak English, and sure enough, in broken English, they tell us, no, because it is the Chinese New Year, Everything is closed right now, except in the tourist district. And we're like, well, how do we get there? So they put us on another bus, no joke. They just put us on this bus and they said, stay on this until it stops. And so we do that and now we're in the tour district and there's this whole plaza area, like kind of like a central park. There's this big park area where people walk, they have concerts and it's lined with hotels and restaurants and we, we started, found, We found a, we found a hotel, we spent the night, the next day, He says, hey, you wanna go see those coochie tunnels? And I'm like, yeah, like I saw that movie, like We Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson and I I remember something about that. So let's go see that. So we get on another bus and we go there and we start just wandering around. We had no clue what we were looking at, what we were seeing, Uh, but if you don't know anything about these, this is a place in Vietnam where uh, the Vietnamese had built miles of tunnels underground and the Americans could not figure out where these people were coming from or where they were going, but they were tiny little tunnels, and so most of the Americans couldn't even get in them when they did find one. And so we're wandering around, and we're like, okay. And then we see a group being led by this young lady who's a tour guide, and we just, we started listening. And she was doing stuff in a couple different languages, one of them was English, so we're just kinda like, All right, now we know what's going on. Now, you know, we had no clue. We just, like, showed up and started walking around. Like, um, I didn't even do any research on this ahead of time, so I had no clue what was going on. And this tour guide's walking around, and the the funniest thing happened. We were, like, I don't know, halfway through the tour or something, and we're standing there. I I wound up standing by. Now, all these people had signed up to be in her group, and she knows we're, we're not in that group, but here we are. We've been hanging out with them now for the last hour. And she looks at me, and she goes, where are you from? And I said, America. And she goes, <laughs> we beat you. Now think of the people in this area right here. They, they kept the Americans out of this particular area because of their system of tunnels. And so in her idea, in her mind, like, yep, we beat you. And, and I looked at it, and I'm like, I don't know if anybody really won that one, you know. But having a guide... Help us. We, we got down in some of those tunnels. They had made some of them bigger so you could crawl through and see what it was like. And, and she was a huge help to understanding what in the world was going on there. Another time, uh, Michelle and I were in Israel, and having a guide was huge. It was, it was really helpful. Um, but just about three years ago, I, I had met a friend of mine uh, who's now a friend. I met him at a church up in the Fresno area I speak at every summer. And he's their junior high pastor, but he's also a photographer. And we were talking about Yosemite. And he says, Hey, well, come up and, and go with me sometime. He goes, I go there like, you know, 50 times a year. I'm like, what? What? And so the very first time I went, we went from sunrise to sunset. We spent the whole day. I, spent, I, I probably took 500 pictures plus videos. And this is like we got the, the, the famous shots. We got the shots nobody knows about. But he knew what time of day to be at each location because the light, the way it hits the mountains. And so every year for like the last three years, I spend some time with him in Yosemite. And I got to do that just a few weeks back last month. Um, having a guide who has the wisdom and the experience is actually a really good thing and even though I'm not always a fan of them I know their value curious show of hands how many of you are more like me you kind of like to go at your own pace do your own thing anybody else like that honestly okay how many of you just really like tour guides like you'll sign up anytime there's a tour guide you do it all right all right, most of you are like me. We're the selfish, like self-absorbed, no, I'm sorry, I don't wanna put that label on you. Uh, we're the ones who just think we can do it, right? It's like, just give me a little, a little time, a little research on the internet, I got this. Well, we're, we started a series last week called The Holy Fixer Upper. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and we're trying to just take some time to discover who this really is. We, we said last week, for a lot of people, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy. Who. Like, how do you describe the Holy Spirit? How do you describe what he does? Well, the Bible actually describes a lot about what he does and what he does in us and for us and through us. And so this week, I want you to know one of the ways that the, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit is he is a guide. Now, like, he illuminates the way. He shows us what God's will is in our life. He, He's our guide. But, but I want to give you a warning before we dive in this week. Because what we're going to do for the next several weeks is just take different passages of Scripture that unpack who the Holy Spirit is. We're going to learn every week because there's so much here. But, but here's my warning. I don't want you to just take one aspect about the work of the Holy Spirit, one, one aspect of a description of the Holy Spirit that you like, that you're comfortable with, and just kind of grab a hold of that and say, that, that's, that, that's it for me. That Man, that's the Holy Spirit for me. Um, I, I want us to be really careful that, that we really pay attention to how God describes himself. Because here's the truth, and Francis Chan said it this way in The Forgotten God, a book about the Holy Spirit. He says this, what you do and how you live are absolutely vital. Without action and fruit, all the theology in the world has little meaning, but theology is still important. Listen to this. What you believe absolutely determines how you act. So, while good theology at its best can lead to Uh, lead us to live godly lives, bad theology will, listen, always point us in the wrong direction. When we study the Holy Spirit, bad theology can lead to ineffective lives or worse yet, here it is, lives spent striving after what the Spirit of God opposes. That's That's why I walked into this series with a lot of humility. Like, I'm not an expert in this. And I'm, I'm learning and growing as we kind of work our way through this series. But I want to make sure that this, this picture that we get of the Holy Spirit after these seven weeks is like accurate based on what the Word of God says. So we're going back to the Word of God every single week. And we're saying, that's going to be, that's going to be our focus. So, so whether you're trying to describe the Holy Spirit or, or even Jesus or God, this, this whole picture of who God is, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, like, how do you describe God in a way that is fully understood? I mean, can we even fully understand him? I'm not sure that we can. I know that we can understand enough. He gives enough of himself to us that we can understand so we can place our faith in him but I'm not sure we can completely understand him because we can't completely explain him. You know, just think about the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct beings, and yet all together God, all together one. I mean, people have been trying to wrap their head around that for, a year, for centuries and trying to explain it, and sometimes they explain it like this. Um, by the way, A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So we want to make sure that we're thinking accurately about God. But here's, here's how we try to explain him. Well, let's see. Three-leaf clover. There's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all different leaves, but they're all the same clover. Some people try to explain God that way. Some people try to say it this way. Let's see. Like an egg has three components. It's all egg, but they're different. Like there's the shell, and there's the white, and there's the yolk. And so God is like, like there's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're different, but they're all they're all God. Or maybe somebody does it this way. Um, ice is, is water in, in a solid form. In its liquid form, you know, it's, it's liquid. And then in steam, it's like a gas or a vapor. It's all water, but in three different forms. You see what we're trying to do? We're trying to figure out how, how do we explain God? The problem with all these, although they might be a little helpful, is that God is unlike anything. How do we take one of the smallest things that he makes, you know, like a little clover and say, the God that created the massive universe that is ever expanding is like a little clover, you know? It just doesn't quite adequately capture it, right? And so I've I've struggled for years, maybe you've struggled for years, trying to explain this to somebody else. Like, I believe it. I I feel like God has given me enough to know. No, I get it, like I, I believe it, but I'm not sure we can ever adequately like explain God. So let's go like 700 years before Jesus comes to earth. and I want you to see, maybe, maybe you've never noticed this, maybe you have, but this is Isaiah chapter nine, six. He says, for to us, a child is born. So he's saying 700 years later, he didn't say the time, but 700 years later, Jesus is gonna be born in Bethlehem. He's talking about Jesus. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be, listen to all these descriptions. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. <laughs> Do you see the Trinity in there? Like there's, there's the Messiah, he's coming, and he's gonna be Counselor, Holy Spirit, he's gonna be Everlasting Father. It's like somehow, in fact, Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when I leave, I'm gonna come back, my spirit's gonna be with you, like Christ in you, the hope of glory, like Christ in you, his spirit, it's like, it's all kind of beautifully woven together. And again, I'm not sure we can fully explain him, but we're going to keep learning. Allow him to reveal himself to us through, through his word. And Jesus literally talks a lot about the Holy Spirit in three particular chapters in the book of John. John chapter 14, 15, and 16. This is the night of Jesus' betrayal. This is the night we call the Last Supper. This is the night where Jesus established communion, which we just participated in. And John is the only Gospel that really kind of unpacks all these other things that Jesus talked about that night. And he talks a lot about, okay, I'm about ready to leave. You know, I'm gonna be arrested, I'm gonna be crucified, but I'm gonna rise again, I'm gonna leave, but when I go, then the Holy Spirit's coming. And so he describes, this. so he's, he's saying, I'm about ready to go, but I'm gonna give you hope. And here's the cool thing, like help is on the way. You can't imagine life without me right now, but I'm coming back, but it's, it's my spirit and, and it's like, let, let me just show you what he says, okay? John chapter 14, Jesus says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. By, by the way, let me just stop here a second. Let me go back to the Trinity. Do you see it? The Son is gonna ask, ask the Father to send the spirit. I don't know. Okay, so here it is. This is it. But I want you to just see this, and I'm going to keep reading, but I want you to notice this word right here. Advocate. Everybody say advocate. 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 That's an important word. He says he's here to help you. And then he says this. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and you will, and he will be in you. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure that as they heard this, they didn't get that yet. But he says this advocate is here to help you. So one of the ways Jesus describes him is he's a helper. In fact, it's interesting, uh, different translations of the Bible, so like the Bible is written, uh, the New Testament in particular in Greek, and Aramaic, mostly Greek, it's it's written and then it's translated into English. When people translate the word um, advocate that we just all saw, sometimes they translate that word helper and so throughout John 14, 15, and 16, you'll just see the word helper repeated. Um, but here he says, that's what he is going to do. He's going to be your helper. So they might translate it helper. They might translate it counselor. They might translate it comforter. Depending on the translation you're reading, they all translate that word advocate. They all translate it different ways. And it all comes from this word right here. I just want to give you a little lesson. Paraclete, which is a compound word. that means to come alongside or the one who's called alongside. So, so Jesus is saying that his spirit the way he describes him is the one who's gonna be with you, the one who's gonna come alongside you. So that's why he says you're not gonna be alone, I'm gonna be with you. And so that word in particular, they translate different ways. Comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, all those kind of ways. And so we're gonna watch in, in the NIV, which I'm reading this week, we're gonna see that word advocate just keep popping up. No, this is the word that Jesus is talking about here, and it means the one who comes alongside, uh, the one who's called alongside, the one sit there to help us. Okay, in John 14, 26, he says, but the, what's the word? advocate, that's that paraclete, the one who comes alongside, but the one who comes alongside, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Okay, see this right here? He also says that the Holy Spirit is our, what? Teacher. He's, he's our teacher. Um, have, you, have you noticed this, that you can read the Bible and then two weeks later, you can read the same passage, but this time you see something you didn't see before. That ever happen? Maybe maybe two years later, you read something, you go, I don't even know what that means. Two years later, like, light bulb goes on. That's what it means. It's all of a sudden um, very relevant to what you're going through right now. Like, the, the Word of God says about itself. It's, it's living and active. Well, how does it do that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals to us and teaches us what the Word of God means. And and I would say that after doing this for a long, 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 long time, I'm still learning all the time. But I believe there are stuff that I saw 30 years ago that over time the Holy Spirit made more obvious to me, more apparent to me, showed me what it really meant, showed showed me how it worked. But I love this other line here. He says, the things, and, and he will remind you of everything I've said to you. That would be a cool teacher on test day, right? They not only told you, but on test day, they would remind you. That would be nice. Teachers don't do that. That would be nice. This teacher does. And he literally says, I'm gonna remind you. Now, here's the thing. Our memory sometimes can be an issue. Like some of you have said, like I I heard somebody say this recently. I could memorize scripture when I'm younger, when I was younger, but it's really hard to memorize it now. I don't know why that is, but I still remember verses I remembered as a kid, but it's harder to memorize them now. And I'm like, I think, I think that's kind of my experience too when I think about it. I, I memorized a lot more when I was younger, and it maybe it's harder to do that. Maybe it's just I spent more time doing it then. But, but the Holy Spirit then brings those things up, and like, He reminds me of just, just right when I need it, right? Well, my mom and my dad, This is a few years back, because my mom's been with Jesus for four and a half years. My my mom and my dad and my wife and I were in the car. We were driving together. And just small talk in the car, maybe going to a restaurant. I don't know what we were doing. I just remember this moment. My mom says, I was reading in an article about dementia, and she says there was these, these four signs that you have dementia or you're getting dementia. And there's a long pause, and I said, Mom, You don't remember what they are, do you? And she goes, no. (laughs) We had a good laugh about that one, right? It's like, I had this article about dementia, but I can't remember anything it said. Hmm. Irony, maybe? I don't know. Well, we have a teacher, the Holy Spirit, who is going to remind us when we need it the most. And in fact, the way Jesus describes this in other places, too, he says, you know, when you stand before those who are accusing you, you don't have to worry about what to say. Your teacher is going to speak through you remind you of my words, guide you through all of that. So all of these things the Holy Spirit is able to do. Here's another one, John 15, 26. When the, what's our word? Advocate, there's that paraclete. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Okay, here's the way I want you to think of it. He is a witness. A witness of who, though? Jesus. He says he will testify about me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's a witness to testify about Jesus, to point people to Jesus, to, to clarify like who Jesus really is. My wife and I love crime shows. You know, there's there's some things that I like to watch she doesn't like. There's some things she likes to watch, I don't like, but one thing we watch together are crime shows. And I'd look this up, not because I'm a law and order nerd, but I was just curious. That, that law and order series started back in 1990, February of 1990, it's almost 33 years old. And it, the law and order itself, right up to until about 2010, then they had all these other ones going on too, and then they started law and order up again. But for 30 plus years, we, we know that there's like, there's the criminal side, there's the arrest, and then there's the court scene. In every episode, you you see both, right? And and I've noticed, I've seen enough crime shows, whether it's law and order or something else, that many times the jury or the judge hinge their opinion on guilt or innocence based on the validity of the witness. You know what I'm saying? And so what what does a, a defense attorney typically do? They try to discredit the witness. Because if the witness is, is credible, if the witness has integrity, if the witness has character, man, that, that kind of testimony has weight. Maybe you see where I'm going with this. The Holy Spirit has character and integrity. His testimony has weight when it comes to Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. They are united as God, one, it's like, again, that whole concept blows us away, but he is able to be this witness or this testimony about how Jesus really is. Okay, we'll keep reading, this is in chapter 16 now. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, there's our word again, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him, listen. I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. By the way, this, this goes on. I, you should read that whole section. I just want to make sure you get this part right here. And what I'm really trying to point out is this. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. I, I, I see two purposes in this. For, for the follower of Jesus, the purpose is not shame and guilt and condemnation because the Bible tells us for those who are in Christ, like Romans 8, 1, there there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The the purpose of conviction is not to make us feel bad or or to make us feel shame, it's to to get us back in line as we follow the one that the Holy Spirit is pointing to, Jesus. And so his conviction does, does that for us. The Bible talks about godly sorrow and when we do have that sense of guilt that and, and conviction that his spirit gives on us, and it, it hopefully turns us, like it leads to repentance, it, it turns us back to him. But, but there's a whole thing here in this passage where he's saying I, he comes to, to convict the world when it comes to sin and, and righteousness and judgment. I've been thinking about that a lot this week. And then a friend sent me something yesterday. It was just a reel, and I watched it on Instagram, but I had no clue about this. And then sometimes, I don't know if you ever do this, I see something and it's so like audacious. I'm like, I got to check this out. So I literally Googled it, checked it out on several sources, and it was true. The Oxford Dictionary removed sin from the dictionary. The word sin, is gone. They said it had, been, it had fallen into misuse and the younger generation has no experience with the word. So it's easy, then, just get, just get rid of the word "sin. And yet the Holy Spirit's still going to convict the world what sin is. He still calls sin sin, even though we, even though we change the name. God calls it adultery. we call it a flame. God calls it drunkenness, we call it partying. God calls it lust. We, we say. And that's just a peek. God calls it gospel, gossip. We call it prayer requests. It's kind of an insider church joke there. It's not very funny, though. Hang on to your seat for a minute. God calls it murder. We call it abortion. I know that doesn't sit well with everybody, and that's not a political statement. Understand this. This is a moral statement. It has to do with what God says about this stuff, and we typically change the terminology or just remove the concept if we possibly can, but the Holy Spirit is going to continue to convict people and can convict the world of what sin is and how serious it is so that we understand how desperately we need Jesus. You know, I I still, just the concept of sin alone is something we could spend days and days and weeks and weeks and years and years on. But when we understand why sin breaks God, why, why sin breaks God's heart and yet he loves us enough that even in our sin, he came to our rescue. Even while we were still sinners, that's what it says in Romans 5, even while we were still sinners, Christ came out of his love for us to be the sacrifice. The, the big word is propitiation. means he, he paid the price that our sin deserved. Like we, we, were, we were in that courtroom and that whole law and order team, they were on their A game and like we were convicted And then Jesus stepped in and just took the punishment for us. That's how much he loves us. But he reminds us that sin is serious. Sin is real, and it breaks God's heart, and it separates us from him. And he wants the relationship with us. And so that conviction has a purpose. It's to draw people to him, to make them realize just how much they need him, how much we need him. Here's another one later in chapter 16. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you. By the way, that same word, Paraclete, is, is in this concept here. He's still describing the Holy Spirit. When they, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears. From who? God the Father from Jesus, they're all working together. he speaks speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me, this is, so, this is so crazy, it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So again, like the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they're all so interwoven, somehow separate, and yet completely in harmony together. And he says, he's, he's our revealer, he's our guide but not just any guide. Not just a guide to maybe go to a town you've never been or, or a guide to, to see something you've never seen before. It's, it's the guide to help us follow Jesus. That's his specific purpose. We're gonna come back to that in a little bit. That's his specific purpose. Like he is guiding us, directing us, illuminating the path so that we can clearly get to Jesus. Listen to this, Max Locato in his book, Help Us Here, says this, the Spirit does more than repeat the words of Jesus, he makes them relevant, he unfolds their significance for the world in which we live. This is is the beauty of the Word of God being living and active, like the Holy Spirit takes the words of Jesus and he applies them to our life now like in this world, in this context, in this culture, with the, the pressures and the stresses that you have, because that may be very different than somebody who lived 500 years ago in Europe, or, so, or somebody who lives even now in some other place in the world. Like, The Spirit makes these things relevant to each person in any situation because truth just does that. Truth is true no matter the culture, no matter the time, and he says that's what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. I read one other guy, he said it this way. He says, the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside us, just picture it this way. He comes alongside us, and then he's got a flashlight, and he's just shining it at Jesus. In the midst of all the other things, all the other options, all the other things about our culture, he's just there. He's illumined. He's, he's our guide. He's, he's got his arm around us, but he's saying, there he is right there, and he has a flashlight. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Here's another quote from Max Lucado. Oh, wait, I think. Nope later on I have another one why does the Holy Spirit come alongside okay so this is I have just two questions I'm going to wrap this up and when I say wrap it up I don't want you to get that excited because when I I'm going to wrap it up for a while all right I'm going to put a bow on this why does the Holy Spirit come alongside and so here's here's what I mean by that what is God's purpose like why does he send him why does he want him to come alongside us well, if we've been paying attention, and help me out, if, I'm gonna see if you've been paying attention. He is our guide, we just said that one, what else? Teacher, our advocate, convictor, our witness. Yeah, there's, there's more, if we, especially if we use all those other words like counselor, comforter, all those things, that, that's why he comes alongside Right? That's why. Okay, here's the other quote from Max Lucado. The Spirit has a specific overarching mission. His task is to teach us about Jesus. So why is God's purpose? Why does he send the Spirit? So that the Spirit can help us connect with Jesus. Again, like, come alongside, shine the light, show us where Jesus is in the midst of everything. And then he says this, he will save us from the cul-de-sac of confusion and the dead end of doubt, he does this by enrolling us in the primary course of his university, Jesus Christ. All those things we talked about, he's the guide, he's, he's the teacher, he's the convictor, all those things connect us to Christ, point the way to Christ, to, to point the way to our Savior, our King, our Lord. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Spirit never says, hey, look at me. He's always saying, hey, Look at Jesus. He's pointing the way clearly to Him. Here's my second question, though, and this is important. Honestly, why do I really want the Holy Spirit alongside? Now, I can't answer this for you, but I want to give you a story. In the book of Acts, chapter 8, persecution has, has broken out. And uh, the Christians in the early church are scattered. Remember, Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But up until this time, they were still all just in Jerusalem. They were hanging out. They're doing life together. They loved it. They were meeting in the temple. They're meeting in their homes. They're, they're, They're studying the word. They're praying. They're having communion. They're seeing God do amazing things. Why leave, right? And then persecution breaks out, and they scatter. One guy named Philip, he goes to another town, and he begins to preach Jesus to these people. And there's a guy named Simon. Um, and in my Bible, I was reading the heading says, Simon the Sorcerer. So he's into the black arts and he's into the occult and whatever else. And people in that area believed he literally had special, like, spiritual powers. But when he heard Philip, he's like, Yeah, I want Jesus in my life. It says he believed and he was baptized. Well, the church back in Jerusalem, there were still people there. They, they sent Peter and John to go to this town and to see what was going on because they got word that these people were coming to know Jesus. This is awesome. So Peter and John get there. And then there's this, this other thing that's happening is they, they lay hands on people because this special way that the Spirit was manifesting himself, like amazing miracles were being done. And Simon sees that and he says, hey, could I buy that? I mean, I'm willing to give you money because it would be so cool if, if I would have the power then to lay my hands on somebody else and they could have the Holy Spirit's power. And Peter puts a stop to that like in a heartbeat. This is Acts chapter 8 verse 20. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. He goes on to say that, man, your heart is full of bitterness and sin. Well, wait, hadn't he believed in Jesus and been baptized? Yep. But he was still consumed by sin. The reason he wanted the Holy Spirit was for his own selfish purposes. Did you catch that? He says, you're not going to have any part in this. Wow. So let me ask you, we got, we got weeks to go as we're learning about the Holy Spirit, but let me ask you, why do you want him along? Why do you want him alongside? For your purposes or for his? I, ho- I hope all of us can be real with this and we can say whatever selfish reasons I may have had, I wanna set those aside and God, I, I, for your purposes, I want your Holy Spirit living in me, guiding me, teaching me, being that, 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 that witness being that convictor when I need it. It's like, I I want your spirit in me, and and I want him for your purposes in my life. And and here's what I know. If, If he's gonna be real in your life, if you're gonna allow the Holy Spirit in your life, it's gonna be for his purpose, and his mission, through his church. His purpose, his mission, through his church. That's what he does. Francis Chan is one of my favorite quotes that I read this week from uh, Forgotten God. He says this, how much do you care? The Holy Spirit has given you a supernatural ability to serve the people God has placed around you. He's talking about the Spirit of God gives all of us abilities. If God cares enough about his church to give you this spirit-empowered ability, shouldn't you care enough about the church to use that gift for the same purposes? Wow. See, it's not about my purposes. It's not, not, maybe I have a special gift so I can show off. and People look at me and people go, oh, wow, you're really special. And I go, yeah, I really am. No, it's like, no, his purpose, his mission through his church. I want his spirit in my life to do exactly that. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Ten years from now, 20 years from now, 100 years from now, if nobody remembers my name, I'm okay with that. But I want them to know Jesus my wife, when we had our second child. Her name is Megan. Our first child was Samantha. In fact, we we thought Samantha was a boy the entire pregnancy. We told the doctor we didn't want to know, and um, her heart rate was always 120. That's kind of a boy's heart rate. Girls are more like 140 to 160 in the womb, and so it was 120 every time. It's a boy. We didn't even have a girl's name picked out. So. This little beautiful girl comes into the world. The nurse says, it's a girl. And my wife says, praise God, it's a girl. She'd been wanting a girl so bad, but she just thought we're having a boy, which would have been fine, but she's like, praise God, it's a girl. Fast forward two and a half years. We're back in the hospital. Michelle's in labor. She gives birth to this beautiful little girl, and she goes, praise God, it's over. And I said, we're only having two. <laughs> I just thought I knew right then. So some time goes by, and she says to me, um, I know you really wanted a boy. If you want to try again, we can. And I said, then what? I'm going to have three girls? I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> she goes, but what about, what about the family name? I just, it's just me and my sister. She goes, what about the family name? And this is what I told her, and I honestly believe this. I said I don't care about my family name. The name I care about is Christian. And I still pray for my girls regularly. That ultimately, at the end of their life, it could be said that they're in that family. That's the one that matters. And so for you, I just wanna encourage you. We're gonna gonna come back and sing part of the song we just ended with a moment ago. And, And we want our faith to be stretched. We, we want to we follow the lead of the Holy Spirit in our life so he can accomplish his purpose and his mission in us through his church. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace and your love and your patience. Thank you, Father, that you, uh, you care enough about us to give us all the help we could ever need. And so, God, we invite as we prayed last week, God, fill us with your spirit. We're gonna pray it again. God, come into our life, fill us with your spirit, not for our purposes. And I'm, I'm a selfish person, I just admit that. But I want, I want your spirit in my life for your purposes. So guide me, teach me, convict me, lead me each and every day closer to Jesus. Thank you, God, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for loving me enough to do all of that and loving us enough to invite us into a relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you have a decision you want to make or you want to know more about Christ or you want to start that relationship, we encourage you. You can, you can email us if you're online, just office at community.cc or use the app just fill out the communication card let us know your decision or just come up here after the service. If you're here, pray with us. Find us outside. Just tell somebody you're ready to take the next step. All right, let's stand together right now. And let's make this song a prayer as we sing it. Make this a convicted prayer that we want this to happen in our life. Let's sing